It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. It's the Media Buzz Meter with Howard Kurtz. I am drowning in news. There is a tsunami of news. It's a tidal wave. I could go on. Uh, And in an effort to deal with it, I am going to give you today a bonus story at the end of the podcast. Because why should it just be the five buzziest stories? Why don't I do the ten buzziest stories? I'll tell you why, because it'd be too much work. And the podcast would be, you know, three hours long. All right, I still can't get over this story over the weekend. You probably heard about this. Secret Service agents uh, protecting... Joe Biden's granddaughter, Naomi, opened fire on three people breaking into their unmarked SUV in Georgetown. These three morons broke the window of the SUV before the agents started opening fire. They didn't hit anybody. The suspects were seen fleeing in a red car. Um, I hope that they're caught soon. But how stupid do you need to be to break into a secret service car? All right, it was unmarked. So I guess the flip question is, how unlucky do you need to be to break into a secret service vehicle? Uh, not a huge surprise in a way for those who live here because carjacking has skyrocketed in the District of Columbia, in the Washington area. I personally know people who have been victimized by this. 6,000 stolen vehicles this year. Uh, And police, police don't investigate most of them. It's outrageous. All right, let's move right along here. Number one, in Politico, Jonathan Martin has a sort of a deep dive on Biden's problems and what the president needs to do. And it's interesting because most people just do Biden's problems. And many others in the punditry world say, well, you know, he's, he's toast. He needs to drop out. Let, let me give you what he has, some good behind-the-scenes reporting here. Perhaps not since Trump's 2016 election have Democratic leaders been so, and lawmakers been so alarmed. Biden is indeed in peril, so there's no disputing that here. Uh, a new poll from Bloomberg and Morning Consult is the same as that New York Times poll. He's trailing in those crucial swing states. Uh, For Biden to use fundraisers, as he did a few days ago, to deny his difficulties and complain about press coverage may be therapeutic, but it doesn't make him any likelier to win. So, Biden refuses to accept his capacity to do the job. The oldest president in history, when he first took the oath, 
Biden will not be able to govern and campaign in the manner of previous incumbents. He simply does not have the capacity to do it. And his staff doesn't trust him to even try, as they make clear by blocking him from the press. He did take a few questions uh, yesterday, but he's back to his, you know, not very engaged with the fourth estate. Uh, Biden would agree this election will be exceptional because of the threat that Trump poses. Former president is an exiled strongman who's taken over a traditional political party and is attempting to reclaim office to consolidate power and punish his enemies with little regard for the Constitution. Just ask him. The Obamas are not going to pop over from Martha's Vineyard to Nantucket this Thanksgiving to talk Joe out of the race and plot the Michelle-led restoration any more than Trump is going to serve vegan turkey at Mar-a-Lago. The uh, president makes, has made clear he's willing to focus on Trump, but he also does uh, little to hide his frustration that voters don't grasp his accomplishments. He pressed his advisors to do more, to convey his record. Uh, says Jonathan Martin, enough with the bravado and denialism. His aides are under no illusion about their challenge. Even some of his most committed loyalists told me they need to make some changes, that he needs to make some changes. Uh, calling David Axelrod, who, as you may recall, strongly suggested and intimated that maybe Trump would serve the country best by dropping out of the race. Calling David Axelrod a prick, as a person who has, a person who has heard Biden use the word says he does in private, is not a strategy to win 270 electoral votes. Repeating a PG version of the same animus in public while litigating polling with the White House press corps, I talked about that on Media Buzz on Sunday, won't make Biden's re-election any likelier. Now then, the column talks about, you know, Jill Stein, the Green Party candidate is going to run, uh, but Biden should smother Joe Manchin with kindness and keep him in the Democratic tent. In other words, Joe don't carry out your implied threat to run for president third party. Um, also, Wu Manchin's Republican friend, Mitt Romney. There's rumors that Manchin would run with Romney, although Romney's knocked that down. So, why is Biden not doing more to secure the support of Liz Cheney? She's made clear she's determined to stop Trump's return to the Oval Office. No ambassador has seemed to remake the role as Biden's envoy to Japan, Rahm Emanuel. Yet the best service Rahm San can offer Biden isn't using his post in Asia. The president should call Emanuel back stateside and have him chair the re-election. Uh, that would demonstrate a willingness by Biden to broaden his inner circle and create a manic energy in the campaign. Remember Rambo and you know, he's very intense, worked in the Clinton White House, got himself a layered, elected mayor of Chicago, and he is uh, called here one of the most ferocious operatives of our times. That actually is the best suggestion I've seen here. Having a bunch of surrogates go out and talk up Biden's record isn't working. Uh, David Pluff, in 2012... Uh, should get a role in the campaign. He, in 2012, I was starting to say, um, oversaw Barack Obama's 
re-election from the West Wing. On the other hand, Barack Obama was not 80 years old. Uh, Jennifer Malley O'Dillon, who works in the White House, uh, who was the campaign manager at the end in 2020. She has the most high-level campaign experience of any of the inner circle. Moved to a political equivalent of a war footing. Lure back Chief of Staff Ron Klain in some capacity. I don't think that would be all that hard to do. Few modern chiefs could do as much simultaneously as Klain. Uh, on the topic of the Mideast... Biden cannot run the country, run for re-election, and oversee a new Mideast policy. He should appoint a pair of high-level envoys for the post, Bill and Hillary Clinton. Interesting suggestion. And perhaps the most important advice uh, he says he picked up is to throw Bidenomics in the dumpster. Attempting to make voters believe something they don't is folly. Attaching your name to that borders on masochistic. Well, people are paying more for housing, gas, groceries. Uh, just saw the new figures out today, in fact. Um, inflation didn't move. So on the one hand, it didn't go any higher. But on the other hand, it didn't go down. And that's not helpful. Oh, here's a response from Mr. Axelrod. Listen, I, was, I understand he was irritated because I raised concerns that many, many Democrats had. And again, you know, my feeling is either get out or get going. But the status quo, the way uh, they were approaching the campaign, the sort of what-me-worry attitude, is not going to get him where he needs to go. You know, the stakes are so high. This is Donald Trump on the other side, says Axe. It's a fundamental question as to what American democracy is going to look like. Okay. Now, let's go to number two. When I write about Donald Trump, do a segment, I keep having to go back and go back and go back in my notes to add more and more things that are either happening or that he is saying. So it's not that I am obsessed with Donald Trump. He just happens to be the huge frontrunner for the Republican nomination Ahead in the polls against Biden now, yes, I know, it's a year out. And just has a knock for making a hell of a lot of news. So, you know, the gag order in the January 6th case um, brought by Special Counsel Jack Smith at the DOJ. Well, Trump was testing that by blasting the team as losers and midfits. He writes, deranged Jack Smith, Andrew Weissman, Lisa Monaco, and the team of losers and misfits from crew, and all the rest of the radical left zealots and thugs who have been working illegally for years to take me down will end up, because of their suffering from this horrible disease, Trump derangement syndrome. Okay, that's going to seem mild to, compared to what's coming. Here's what the former president had to say today. Oh, he retruthed. Uh, you know, the equivalent of retweeting uh, something from one of his supporters. It says, my fantasy, I would like to see Letitia James and Judge Engeron placed under citizen's arrest for blatant election interference and harassment. Oh, wait, Trump's not done. This law has never been used before. It is both unconstitutional and very unfair. 
No businesses will come to New York. I'll only continue to leave. The whole case is rigged from D.C. It is election interference. Our country is broken and corrupt. Well, I guess I would just add, there's no evidence this was rigged from D.C. This is the New York State Attorney General bringing a civil suit as a matter of a state investigation. Uh, Now, here's one that has really set off uh, Trump's critics and detractors. This was over the weekend. Yeah, it's hard to keep up. That's why you listen to me. Who has time to plow through all this stuff? Uh, In honor of our great veterans on Veterans Day, we pledge to you that we will root out the communist, Marxist, fascist, and radical left thugs that live like vermin within the confines of our country. Lie, steal, cheat on elections. Okay, his use of the word vermin has really uh, sparked a big backlash, you know, mostly from people who don't like the guy. But, you know, to use the word vermin on Veterans Day, uh, not such a good look. Uh, So here's a Forbes headline. Trump compares political foes to vermin on Veterans Day, echoing Nazi propaganda. Here's the Washington Post, quoting uh, a scholar from Columbia University. The language is the language that dictators use to instill fear. When you dehumanize an opponent, you strip them of their constitutional rights to participate securely in a democracy because you're saying they're not human. That's what dictators do. So here's a reaction from uh, Trump's spokesman telling the Washington Post, those who try to make that ridiculous assertion are clearly snowflakes grasping for anything because they are suffering from Trump derangement syndrome and their entire existence will be crushed when President Trump returns to the White House. I don't know. Is that an effort to play off the bug terminology? Maybe, maybe not. All right. So this drew a uh, response from the White House. Deputy Press Secretary Andrew Bates The nation just observed Veterans Day, recognizing the sacred memory of every American who risked their lives to defend our freedom. Veterans who are not absolutely not suckers or losers, but who, as President Biden has said, deserve our greatest respect. Okay, this was put out by the two top Trump campaign officials. These reports and there have been a spate of them as the press wakes up to the fact that Trump could well win this election, about personnel and policies that are specific to a second Trump administration are purely speculative and theoretical. Any personal lists, policy agendas, or government plans published anywhere are merely suggestions. All 2024 announcements will be made by President Trump or members of his campaign team. As President Trump's dominance in the Republican primary grows and his path to beating Joe Biden widens, we are seeing more and more stories about various groups' intentions for leading a Trump transition. These stories are neither appropriate nor constructive. Well, they're quoting sources on what Trump has been discussing with other people. It doesn't mean it's going to happen. But I do have to throw a flag here because the story about Trump Um, vowing to carry out an extreme 
immigration crackdown, including uh, deporting millions of illegal immigrants who are already here. Um, the Trump team wanted that story out. They made Stephen Miller, a former Trump official and current advisor, available to the New York Times. There was so much detail in that story, and President Trump then said some of this publicly in a, uh, at a rally over the weekend, that clearly there had been full cooperation from the Trump White House. So this idea that it's all speculative, I would say, is not quite accurate. Okay, the trial. The trial in which he's posting all these, um, let's just say, I don't know, should I say incendiary remarks or just venting about, he's really angry about this trial. That's the way it seems to me. I mean, I don't really think I'm climbing out on a limb here, folks. So, federal prosecutors yesterday accusing Trump of trying to turn his trial into a media event with a carnival atmosphere. Well, this is a filing um, by Jack Smith urging that uh, cameras not be allowed in the courtroom for the D.C. trial, which is already prohibited by federal law, so it's kind of a layup, I would think, for DOJ. Hey, let's pause right there. The buzz meter continues right after this. Cudlow on Fox Business is now on the go for podcast fans. Get key interviews with the biggest business newsmakers of the day. The Cudlow Podcast will be available on the go after the show every weekday at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Oh, did you catch this? I know, I'm drowning in Trump news. I have my air quotes up. But... This is news. ABC News uh, obtained a video of Jenna Ellis, who, as you know, was a lawyer for Trump after the election, has since pleaded guilty in the Georgia case. Again, not orchestrated from D.C. This is Georgia, Fulton County D.A., uh, Fonnie Willis. And they were having a session with Jenna Ellis in which she was doing a proffer. In other words, she comes in with her lawyers and she says, here's what I would tell you if we were to work out a plea bargain. Perfectly one favorable to me, which actually happened because she's not going to do any jail time. And in that proffer section, uh, session, Jenna Ellis said that at a White House Christmas party weeks after the 2020 election, Dan Scavino, one of Trump's top White House aides, allegedly told her in an excited tone, and this was at uh, the Christmas party, that the boss is not going to leave under any circumstances. Report noted that Scavino's comments came in response to her apologizing over the lack of success with their election challenges in court. Yeah, they lost them all. Culminating with a Supreme Court loss that indicated their ability to challenge the election was essentially over. And Jen Ellis uh, said, and he said to me in an excited tone, well, we don't care. We're not going to leave. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, the boss, meaning Trump, and everyone understood the boss. That's what we all called him. He said, the boss 
is not going to leave under any circumstances. We are just going to stay in power. And I said to him, well, it doesn't quite work that way, you realize? And he said, we don't care. Fascinating little piece of videotape, would you say? Now, at the civil fraud trial in New York, Donald Trump Jr. testified yesterday. And he obviously had testified, been called by the prosecution. Yesterday was the beginning of the defense case. So with a defense lawyer leading him, uh, the president, the former president's son said that his dad is admired as a genius. Mar-a-Lago is one of the few American castles that 40 Wall Street, right across from the New York Stock Exchange, has vaults that are a mechanical work of art. Um, here's how the New York Times puts it. Um, Trump testifying, Trump Jr. testifying in bursts of hyperbole and platitudes. His rhetoric sounded as though it had been ripped from the pages of an airline magazine or a travel brochure. And he saved the highest praise for the man who said made it all happen. His father, a, quote, visionary who is an artist with real estate and creates things that other people would never envision. Yet some of his high-flying claims clash with present-day reality. In recent years, the Trump Organization has shrunk as the family name was scrubbed from some buildings on the properties he extolled. Taken off buildings in New York, Washington, and soon Hawaii. Trump Tower and 40 Wall Street have also at times lost a number of tenants. Uh, Don Jr. Uh, adopted a rhapsodic tone, rhapsodic tone that aimed to create a parallel universe from the one that operated in the previous six weeks of the trial, where Letitia James' office presented spreadsheets, emails, financial statements. Trump's lawyers showed him dozens of pictures of luxury properties, and he opined about them lovingly and at length. I don't know if that moves the needle very much, given that there's no jury, uh, but it's not over. There'll be other family members uh, testifying this week. And Donald Trump Sr. will be called back, or is expected to be called back by the defense. And he uh, will have some interesting things to say, I am sure. So uh, Don Jr. was funny. He, When he uh, began his testimony, he said, I'd say it's good to be here, Your Honor, but I have a feeling the Attorney General would sue me for perjury. That's a good line. Uh, so what are the examples of uh, your father uh, being such a real estate whiz? Um, his father was on the leading edge of creating value by using his brand. Okay, here's an example. He included gyms as amenities in luxury buildings. Now, Don Jr. said, well, you know, maybe somebody did that beforehand, but not on the scale that my dad did. All right. Uh, Trump school is over. Let's move on to number three. President Biden asked about the Middle East war by reporters said, I have not been reluctant expressing my concerns with what's going on. My hope and expectation is that there will be less intrusive action relative to hospitals as we remain in contact with the Israelis. 
Also, there is an effort to get a pause to deal with the release of prisoners, and that's being negotiated, as well as with the uh, Qataris on hostages. So I remain somewhat hopeful, but hospitals must be protected. Now, as the world knows, thousands of people had to flee the largest hospital in Gaza, Al-Shifa, over the weekend as Israeli troops encircled it. World Health Organization warning of a dire and perilous situation for patients. Some are said to have died. Uh, Al-Shifa is not functioning as a hospital anymore, says the WHO. But Israel and American security officials have said a Hamas command base lies beneath the hospital. An example of Hamas' willingness to use civilians as human shields. Now, Hamas is denying this for what it's worth. We will undoubtedly find out. Uh, I have seen video of a Hamas command post, uh, maybe even some rocket launchers there, right next to a children's classroom in a UN school run for children. But here's the thing, just drives me nuts. Crazy. Crazy. The Israeli military said in a post on X that it delivered 300 liters of fuel to the Shifa hospital's doorstep, yet the fuel remains untouched after Hamas threatened hospital staff. And in the New York Times... You know, when I heard that claim, I said, oh, can that really be true? You know, I don't know. Something about it made me skeptical. A Hamas official has confirmed to the New York Times that it rejected the offer of fuel because then Israel would get credit for giving us fuel. So it's true. Here we are saying, oh, this hospital, it's terrible. There are babies in there. And look what the Israelis have done. The Israelis delivered the fuel to keep the hospital running and Hamas rejected it because it would look bad. What more do I need to say from that, than that? Now, here's a column uh, in Political by Rich Lowry, who I know I quote a lot on this podcast. He's the guy's a machine. He just writes a lot of columns and many of them uh, display original thinking and Thoughts that hadn't occurred to me. You know, he has a few clunkers like everybody, including yours truly. Okay. So the conventional wisdom, the old conventional wisdom that is, was that the U.S. couldn't be too pro-Israel for fear of inflaming the Arab street. The new conventional wisdom will have to be that we can't be too pro-Israel for fear of inflaming the Western street. The Arab street, a hoary cliche of commentary on the Middle East for decades, was a reference to public opinion in Arab countries, with the strong implication, says Lowry, that if we offended it, the result would be massive anti-Western demonstrations and perhaps violence. Well, here we are, with this dynamic playing out throughout the U.S. and other Western countries. We've offended the new Arab street within our own societies. In response, it has lashed out in mass protests, intimidation of Jews, anti-Semitic chants and graffiti, property damage, and anti-patriotic acts and sentiments. Uh, not to mention violence. Look at the guy 
at the Palestinian protest outside LA, 16-year-old guy, a 69-year-old guy who was um, killed, who was ruled a homicide after getting bashed in the head with a megaphone. So, left of center political parties will take it seriously. And the Biden administration, hesitant to speak of anti-Semitism without reference to fashionable Islamophobia as well, has already been influenced by it. Clearly, the action on the streets and on campus is meant to unsettle Jews who are left wondering how it is that they've become targets of pro-Hamas forces in their own country. It is remarkable. It is amazing to me. Uh, and this has spread from campus to campus to campus, making life very uncomfortable for uh, Jewish students uh, who live there. And many of these younger people are spectacularly uninformed. Uh, uninformed about or dismissing or not caring about the fact that Israel was attacked first in the most gruesome, horrifying, and barbaric ways, the fact that Hamas says in its charter it wants to wipe Israel off the face of the earth. So if you're demonstrating for Hamas, these are the people you're demonstrating for, from the river to the sea. And just don't understand much about the fact that the Israelis and, you know, Israel may well be losing the PR war right now, uh, with the hospital being this latest example, at least right now. But, and it's terrible. I mean, I have to say, every time I read about innocent Palestinian civilians and families being killed, it's heartrending. But again, it's Hamas that uses them as human shields, placing them in this position. And it's kind of almost celebrates them as martyrs when they are killed. And of course, Israel gets blamed. So, over the weekend, more than 300,000 pro-Palestinian protesters marching in London, chanting for the elimination of Israel. That would be a notable crowd in our cap capital, uh, the Lowry piece says, but it's especially remarkable in one of the greatest cities in the Western world. A man holding a sign reading October 7th genocide, Hamas ISIS, was accosted by men wearing hoodies who repeatedly attempted to take his side. Hey, let's pause right there. The buzz meter continues right after this. Um, one other aspect here, which is within Israel, there is the largest internal displacement in Israel's history. A modern-day exodus, if you get the reference, of more than 125,000 people. They've been evacuated from towns in the south, near Gaza, where Hamas... The New York Times uses the word extremists, okay? Massacred civilians, Israeli civilians and soldiers a month ago. Uh, I'm sorry, is somebody, is, is a group of terrorists who massacre Israeli civilians, not to be called terrorists. They're just extremists. What do you have to do? Uh, and also from the north, where uh, Israel has exchanged fire with Hezbollah operatives in Lebanon. Very logistically complex and costly. 
Israel is paying to house the evacuees in 280 hotels and guest houses, setting up makeshift schools and medical clinics just to keep their people safe. Number four, Nikki Haley's presidential campaign plans to reserve $10 million in TV, radio, and digital advertising in Iowa and New Hampshire starting the first week in December. Um, And she saved her money. She's a former accountant. Uh, This talks about her rising poll numbers. And hers, and of course, mentions the fact that, of course, that she is, like everybody else, is way behind Trump. But she's second in New Hampshire now, third in Iowa, according to some surveys. Her campaign is betting on an eventual Haley-Trump showdown in South Carolina. And that scenario improved when Tim Scott, also from South Carolina, dropped out of the race. Communications director for Ron DeSantis said that only he, his candidate, had the best combination of endorsements, ground game, and message in the early states. It's clear there's no way Nikki Haley can beat Donald Trump. Says the spokesman. And another official of the campaign manager for Nikki, Betsy Ankeny, says even if DeSantis does well in Iowa, he's so diminished in New Hampshire and South Carolina that he has no end game. Meanwhile, uh, some of uh, uh, Tim Scott's former staffers furious about the fact that, with the exception of two top campaign officials, Senator Scott didn't let anybody know that he was folding the campaign before going on Fox News Sunday night and saying so from his home studio. I think this was handled incredibly poorly, said one uh, campaign official. Um... I've seen better-run city council campaigns, said one GOP operative supporting Scott. Okay, number five. I haven't dwelled on this because it seems like an endless rerun, but today the House is going to vote on Speaker Mike Johnson's effort to keep the government from shutting down, which would happen Friday. So we're four days away. So he's come up with a two-part plan Basically, both stopgap measures, stopgap funding, uh, a lot of the um, most conservative members of his caucus don't want that. They want to cut spending. Does any of this sound familiar? Um, He talked to a whole lot of people. The moderates said, you know, don't make us vote on more spending cuts. That will be hard for us to defend in our districts. Uh, The hard right said... We're not going to support something. And so the reason this hasn't come to the floor is that up until now, Mike Johnson hasn't had the votes. Um, Of approximately two dozen Republican lawmakers and aides interviewed by the Washington Post, um, a significant number acknowledged granting Johnson a grace period to find his footing in a job that few would ever want. Um, So here's... uh, Congressman Chip Roy, very conservative, he says, time is ticking and we got to go get it done. But then, that grace period apparently is over. 
because he said on Twitter he will oppose the stopgap funding bill because it's clean. In other words, clean isn't good enough uh, for the most conservative members. So he's going to need help from the Democrats, just as Kevin McCarthy did, because Mike Johnson, previously obscure and unknown, faces the same problems, even though he is a very conservative guy, much more conservative than McCarthy, but he's got the same problem. All right, as promised, bonus story number six. The Supreme Court yesterday put out an ethics code. This after reports of lavish, unreported travel and gifts to some of its members. Those are mainly Clarence Thomas and Sam Alito. Uh, court has taken a beating over this. The statement from the court said, well, for the most part, the guidelines are not new, but they were necessary to correct a public misunderstanding about ethical obligations. The absence of an ethics code, says Chief Justice John Roberts, uh, has given the impression, quote, that the justice of this court, unlike all other jurists in this country, regard themselves as unrestricted by any ethics rules. The code contains broadly worded sections relating to outside relationships, restricting participation in cases that could mean financial gain to family members, the use of a justice's staff, and limits on participating in fundraising activities for groups or accepting gifts. Now, 14-page document. But here's the problem. There's nothing in there about how to enforce it. Basically, the justices themselves will decide, do I have to declare this gift? Do I have to declare this fishing trip? Um, what about the money that was given uh, to my mother, in the case of Clarence Thomas, to buy a house? So it's being absolutely denounced as, you know, just kind of a PR move. What happens if you break these rules? There's no way, as this is laid out, of enforcing it. It's up to the nine justices themselves, and it says that uh, recusal should be very limited because a lot can be lost when even one justice doesn't participate in a particular case. Well, I guess you could say it's a half a step in the right direction, but without anything about how this would be carried out except by self-policing, I don't know how much it really accomplishes. Well, as I said, six buzziest stories of the day. Thanks for sticking with me if you're still listening to this uh, somewhat elongated podcast. But we try to get as much as in as we can for all of you. Back here tomorrow with more BuzzMeter. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts and via Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on Amazon Music. 